Welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike and Davina. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome to the Master Your Mix podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. My name is Mike Navina. I'm your host. And if you're a regular listener, you might have noticed that things have slowed down a little bit with the podcast lately. I've recently been moving. I just uh, moved to a brand new apartment. And uh, so I've just been busy with that, just packing everything and unpacking everything in the new house. And uh, currently, as I'm sitting here in my new mix room, I've just got a bunch of boxes packed up behind me, and uh, pretty much all I've got right now is my speakers and my microphone to do this podcast. If my mic sounds really roomy and reflective, it's just because I have absolutely no treatment at all in my room right now. But if you follow along on my mailing list, it's one of those things that I'm going to probably make a video for. I'm going to show you how to treat your room with acoustic treatment in order to get a lot more control of your room and make for a much more accurate listening environment and recording environment as well. So make sure to go to MasterMix.com and sign up for the mailing list and then you'll get access to that video and all the other videos that I send out every week. Today I'm really excited because I've got a fantastic mastering engineer on the show. His name is Joe Carvalho. If you've never heard of him, at the time of this recording, he is currently a Grammy-nominated mastering engineer, and he has done tons of great work working with bands such as Smashing Pumpkins, Rush, Lights, Protest the Hero, Sloan, Silverstein, and a whole bunch more. He does fantastic work. I've worked with him a couple times on a few projects, and I can really vouch for his work. He's a great guy as well. I always love chatting with him. He's always a lot of fun. And I think you're going to learn a ton of really useful stuff from this conversation. So let's dive right into it. So Joe, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. So for people who might not be familiar with who you are, can you give me a little bit of background on your story and how you got into mastering? Uh, sure. Uh, it's, um, it's been a while. I, I've been, I think the first record that I, I mastered would have been in the mid-90s, probably 1996. It was a treble charger uh, record. And, um, but before that I was, uh, making records. So I was, I was producing and, and, uh, and engineering recordings. Um, I, and I guess before that I, I played in bands as well. So I've kind of went up the ranks from playing music to being interested in, in, in getting interested in, in, in recording it to then producing and, and now mastering is pretty much all I do. So what made you choose mastering then? Because most people kind of want to go that mixing or producing route, but then you decided to stick with mastering. So yeah. what led you there? Gosh, I, I think it's just maybe because I, I think I tried most things, I, I guess. You know, I cut, all bases were sort of covered, but it, it just seemed like it was the, the thing that I, that made the most sense to me. I, I, I'm pretty... Um, I get inside of things. I'm, you know, being a Virgo. Uh, so I, I, um, yeah, I like the minutia of it, the very subtle things. Um, not that you don't do that in mastering or, or, or sorry, in, in engineering or, or mixing or anything, but, but I think mastering gets even, even more subtle. So I, I think it's what I was best suited for. Yeah. So how I did you learn to master? Did you like, intern or was it just kind of trial and error uh absolutely trial and error <laughs> the first uh <laughs> you don't want to hear the first record i mastered <laughs> um 
which was the travel treasure. I shouldn't be saying that, but but they, uh, yeah, just I, when I heard it recently, it was it was like, oh my god, I wish. Travel treasure was a successful band, so you must have done something, right? Yeah, I mean, it, and it was all over the radio, and you know, it, it played a lot. But uh, I'd love to redo that record <laughs> for sure. Um, I think that's pretty common. Everyone always looks back at their previous catalog and wishes they could redo a lot of that stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely, for for sure. You started as a musician too, right? Aren't you a drummer? Uh, actually, I mean, I, I love to play drums, but guitar was my, my instrument when I was, when I was playing in bands. Um, but I, I think I can sort of dabble in most things, you know, I can pseudo play drums, pseudo play bass, you know, just a little bit of piano. So I, I think just when I got into production, um, it, it, you know, just dabbling in all sorts of things and, and sort of having a vision or trying to, trying to play figuring out how to play piano so it would work in a, in a, in a track, you know? So I, yeah, I think I, I, I dabble in most things, but guitar is yeah. the main instrument. Long answer for, yeah, guitar is my instrument. Well, I was going to ask, like, <laughs> how do you think your ability to play instruments has helped the work you do? Oh, like, does that have any impact in your mastering? So good. Yeah, I think it's so good. Um, and especially production, like from coming from a, a producer's point of view, like just as soon as I, when I hear something come through on the speakers that I, I'm a, about to master, and uh, and you just <clears throat> excuse me you you hear the snare drum and instantly you go oh okay I see where they're going with this I I I I know what sound it is that they were trying to achieve or are are really close to or whatever and so then that helps sort of shape how you're gonna you know make make decisions in, in the mastering so for sure yeah. um, playing and producing was was huge like it's yeah. it, it's um, instrumental for sure in, in mastering it's for sure yeah tell me a little bit about your studio setup what kind of gear are you using these days um my uh the the room is so awesome i love my mastering room it uh it was designed by martin pilschner so it, it's it's truly one of the most uh accurate rooms out there um so it it's you, you can feel really confident when you're making decisions and you're sitting in the in the chair and, and listening to the speakers it it really uh, allows you to to know that what you're hearing is really what's happening um and then so the room is super important um but then speakers that i've i've really grown to to be comfortable with it, it, it i'm a super slow learner so it took me forever to to kind of get to learn the this room and and these speakers but now it's it feels really confident so the speakers are really key uh the, i use wilson uh max uh twos which are um yeah, pretty pretty uh, stellar um, set of speakers. Very accurate. Uh, flat down to twenty hertz, which <clears throat> I think a lot of people tr try to say. I mean, I, I can, can never believe that anything's really truly flat down to twenty hertz, but but they say say they are. Um, I also use a, a set of Studio Lab speakers, uh, more the the bookshelf type speakers, and and um, and a third set, which is just like a, a Bose iDoc. I'm always kind of referencing on that, so. Kind of always switching back and forth between three sets of speakers, and then when it's doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing on those speakers, each one's a little bit different. Um, then it kind of graduates to the car test, so it's kind of kind of funny. It's sort of my process. <laughs> um, so that's but speakers to me are, are just the, the really the, the most important thing. Speakers in the room because um, that, that's you know that's the, you're basing your decisions on on that stuff. Gear. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love my GML EQ still. 
um, the 9500, just a really um, excellent, um, very, it's a little more on the clinical side, I guess. It's not super vibey EQ, but, but it's just, it, it's kind of does the thing you want it to do when you need it. Um, uh, I have a Weiss uh, uh, 7 band uh, EQ as well, a Weiss um, DSer. Uh, the DS1, a Mark III, which is still the, the coolest DS I think ever. Um, I have a bunch of stuff, but I mean the stuff that's that's usually in in my rack. Um, that is, I we alternate every once in a while. But um, the Shadow Hills compressor, their, their mastering compressor, the um, the Airfield Eliminator, which is truly a bit of a secret weapon i guess for for mastering i i i found um and converters what is it about that that piece of gear um well long story or, or short story <laughs> well you said it's a secret weapon yeah. so now you've revealed the secret <laughs> um well when dave was initially dave miller the the um owner of airfield when he was designing it he he brought it here and uh, so we we kind of it went through a, a couple of different incarnations in the beginning but we were able to sort of fine-tune it and I kept put it, putting it into, I would take my, um, send the signal into my Manly Varimu at the time and uh, just kind of get it set up. Would sound awesome. You know, you get it to this point where, okay, it's doing this really nice thing in compression. It's just beginning to saturate. It's just doing the things that it's supposed to be doing. And then you take the output, you try to give it as much output out. And so I'd kind of set it up that way. Then I would take those cables and just jam it into the little box that he brought in and try to set up the same thing and and then and then the first time he brought it in it was like okay you know it's cool but it kind of needs a little bit of this a little bit of that then second time he brought in the box a couple of weeks later same thing i i ran it into a very mu uh just trying to get it set up making it all sound as, as cool as possible took those same cables put it into his box and all of a sudden it was like okay wow this is really great really nice compression it's doing this really nice slow soft thing that 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 works really nice in mastering and but then the output was great but i felt like i could still get a little more out of the out of the um out of the very mu so so i think that the thing then was like wow anything you can do about just clean output would be awesome so next time he brought it back same thing put it in the very mu got it all set up sounded awesome doing this things like okay great wow this is really good take those same cables put it into the into his box and it was like, okay, this is awesome. Compression is awesome. And then just went to the output and it's just dead clean. And it, and I was able to get, and still can, you know, like two, two to three dB more really clean, clear output without things getting saturated than any other piece of, of, um, of a compressor or, or gear that I've, that I've tried. So you, using it as the last thing in the chain, it's just, super clear super clean just tons of headroom and it's just it, it's just an awesome box too it just compresses beautifully and um this this is the mastering version i have as well too so it's it's detented um and um the the transformers on it are, are just awesome too very subtle change there, there's a there's souter transformers and um and jensen transformers and so you can switch back and forth between a, a slightly more north american sound or, or a british sound kind of thing nice um so yeah it's a super cool unit i i love it to death 
it's 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 amazing. That, that's quite the advertisement for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You should they, be a sales guy for them. That sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 I a want super. One. Yeah, and it's so reasonably priced. Like what you get in that box is crazy. So it's yeah, yeah it's definitely uh, I'd say best bang for the the buck as far as compression. Yeah. So, well, a lot of, a lot of high end gear. It sounds like then, all around at the studio. Yeah, I I mean the, these are just we have you know I not in the rack there's um lots of other stuff too you know yeah. um, um um massive passives and and, and just and we also have a, a, a studio across the street called revolution recording and and it's uh so there's there's tons of stuff over there that sometimes yeah we, i wanted to ask of, you about that as well because mm-hmm. like revolution is just an insane studio it's is it the largest studio in canada I, I believe it is. I, I think it has the, the largest uh, uh, recording floor, and yeah. uh, it's a three-room facility. So it's yeah, it's 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 a big space. I I'm not really sure who, uh, if there's bigger ones out there, but it's definitely one of them. But uh, it definitely has like the dream list of every engineer's like wish list of gear, yeah. and uh, and I was curious like in. Like these days, it seems like bigger studios are closing and smaller home studios are becoming more and more prevalent. Mm-hmm. What was the intention behind creating such a massive studio with all of that amazing gear? Because <laughs> we're really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was it was just a, a bit of a passion, um, you know, just loving to kind of excel in, in audio, just trying to do... Uh, and keep and keep the whole thing going, you know. Just keep um, tr- the real way of recording going, you know. Jo- Joe Dunphy, uh, one of uh, my partners at Revolution, um, he's you know, he, he, there's a, a, a podcast for you if you want to if you want to get an attack. Joe Joe's a genius, and and he um, he truly can just dream something up in his head overnight, and then go into our shop because we have all the presses and punches and we can build everything in there. We can, we can build the boxes, build, you know, wire everything up and, and, um, he can just design a preamp in his head and then build it. And it sounds unreal. Like, you know, he truly, some of the stuff he's done is, is just insane. He's, he's, he's a engineer's engineer kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty special place for sure. So, do you think that there's still a need for analog gear in recording and mastering when everything else seems to be going digital? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a time and place, and I, and I I'd say more so in in recording for sure. I mean, it, it, when you run stuff through that Neve console and and through all those crazy microphones, all the the Sony's and and Neumanns and you know, all these crazy vintage microphones, it's a huge microphone collection we have over there, um, and um yeah there there's just there's a, a tone that just happens you know it just it's it's just a little more three dimensional just it just you know you can't deny that it's, it sounds great um for for tracking especially um but yeah for but you, you it, in mixing and and in mastering there becomes you know you kind of just pick your battles you just kind of i'm always i've always got the both both chains happening, so I've always got um, digital running and analog, and with a with a flip of a switch, I can sort of hear um, one or the other instantly, and then that's how I make my choice. There, I just kind of go, okay, this is clearly sounding better in analog. Okay, it's got to go that way, 
or or wow this just it's already at its maximum like any more saturation any more anything is just going to mess it up i should keep away from from analog you know so it's you just got to you, you just pick what whatever needs to happen for for different projects but i'd say sure. probably these days i'd be a little more on the majority of, of being on the digital side of things or a combination of things often it's just more often it's just um um, analog and digital. That's cool. So I guess before we go into some questions about the mastering process, one thing that I wanted to ask was, I know that there's a lot of people who seem to think that if they understand how to use EQs and compressors and limiters and that kind of stuff, that they essentially understand how to use a lot of the same equipment as a mastering engineer. So if they can get their mixes to a point where they're really happy with them, what's the argument for taking it that next step and getting a professional mastering engineer to work on their project? Mm. It's, it's so much about the subtleties, you know, like it's, it's when you're, when you're mixing, I find, and I always try to encourage, it's like, man, when you're mixing, make it big, like, you know, just, just overshoot just a little bit. It's kind of, it's when something comes in and it's already sounding like it's mastered, which it, I, I think is, is definitely the exception, like the exception It's pretty rare that that would happen. But, um, but, um, yeah, like I, I, you know, when you're mixing, you just like, you're trying to make this this big picture and so it feels like it's better to just have a little more bottom end and and just you know something just feeling like a little larger than life so that then you can sort of just tailor back just ever so slightly remove any of the bulbousness out of it you know just kind of the, the things that are just a little murky or whatever and and then all of a sudden whoa, it just comes to life um but um you know I, not it doesn't always like not everything has to be mastered there's some guys that i work with super like I don't know if I'm supposed to name. I don't, I don't want to name, name names if I'm not supposed to name names or, or whatever. Go for it. But, Go for but, it. But yeah, like something like often Tim Abraham is is an, an amazing example of like stuff just sounds phenomenal. Like it's like often it's like, do I need to touch this? Do I need to do anything to this? Um, so there's 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 definitely exceptions, but but I, I find when when guys just go a little bit bigger with it. Um, it, it just feels it feels great because then it just leaves a little bit of room to sort of open things up so yeah i think i think mastering is is pretty is is important for sure uh i think to most people i, I think there's really a need for it but yeah you had mentioned that there are some cases where mastering isn't necessary so like what what kind of situations create those oh uh well again when s stuff just sounds correct i mean it, it it's it's really unusual when that when that happens um but when stuff just comes in and it's just like okay it's completely it's this is just done and it's already at full volume and also i mean there are some guys i mean i i, th I think guys like um like i think daniel and is definitely one of those guys that he just he just likes to create his thing and and it's done and if somebody has is going for that kind of vision you know, like every engineer is a little bit different but i think most engineers kind of are expecting that there's going to be another guy that's just going to tie it all in together. Um, and, um, but there are guys, I, I think like, like Lanois that, that he just, you know, this is, this is my mix and that's the way I want it to be. It's done, you know, mm -hmm. but I, but even then still sometimes when you're pe putting a record together, sure, you can have this mix and it sounds awesome. And then you can do another mix of another song and it sounds incredible, but do they sit well on the record together? You know, and that's the thing where sometimes the, the mastering engineer can can sort of 
remove a little bit of something or add something to some one of the other tracks to sort of make them feel like they're more cohesive through the, through the whole listening uh, process of, of listening to the whole record. And that's what's that's pretty key in mastering, obviously. And do you find that a lot of people view mastering as this thing that's going to drastically change their sound? Like, are are people coming in expecting you to like essentially like re- remix it almost, or, or or most people coming in just saying, "I love the sound of this, just give it that extra ten percent." All of the above. It's just like yeah. it's it's you just I, I I get all sorts. There there's some situations where it's like, wow, this is pristine like just man what do you what do you do just leave it alone it sounds better if you just leave it alone or just do or just that tiny tiny last little bit of of something but then there's other records where yeah it's like you're saying it's like mixing in the mastering kind of thing um sometimes you know breaking it out and asking them to break it out in the stems because i feel like i can i'll be able to just control things way better um, with stems and then all of a sudden it's like whoa you really are kind of reshaping this thing it sounds like it's a bit of a remix you know um mm-hmm. but having to be super super careful with that stuff because you don't want to you know you're not trying to step on on somebody's toes and you know when when i do do go there with the stems i, I i'm trying to be really careful of not not messing up somebody's vision you know but you so you have to feel out the artist you have to feel out the engineer it's like okay what do you want do you want to go there or is it or do you want to sort of keep this this thing that you guys had going and and just try to benefit uh, benefit it as much as possible just through standard um stereo mastering um yeah it's it's tricky it's it's all of the above like it just it's all all of them yeah. So then what's your mindset for going into a new project? Where do you start? What kind of things are you listening for? Well, uh, first thing, when, when I go for a full record, like if, if there's a full record uh, that I'm going to master that day, um, I just, I scan through all the songs. I, I like to listen to, you know, a verse and a chorus of, e- of each song. And then at that point, you, I just make the decision. So if there's 10 songs, it might be track five. That just sounds the best, you know, just kind of listening to all of them. And you go, okay, that one I I think is the one that's just going to sonically be the best the best sounding track on the on the record. So I start with that one, try to get it in, into its best spot, and and then once I have that one done, then I can go back to the beginning, start start the the record, and and try to and use that fifth track as the benchmark to try to bring all the other ones into into that world. Yeah, and in your opinion, what makes a great master? Like, how do you know when you're done your mastering? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh god i i i'm i never stop i mean and truthfully tr- usually af- even after doing that fifth track that i think and okay this is done through the course of the day i'm probably still going to tweak that a little bit you know or i might or maybe not but but generally when the other ones start shaping up and then other things come to light that are sounding really cool then you might want to add a little bit of that to that first track that you did and so it's just always kind of manipulating it you know, it's it's always changing. And then the next day, you know, I I like to listen, like to have a car listen and fresh ears listen. And then even then it still tweaks a little bit more after that. And so it's it, it's it just keeps evolving until yeah. until somebody signs off on it. You know, so it's, it's, <laughs> well, I was going to say, how long does it normally take you to master a song? Um, I think once you you. Uh, well, after everything's said and done, once, you know, like the initial mastering listening to it again, tweaking, doing all that kind of stuff. I, I'd say it's, it probably averages about an hour per song, you know? So 
So if there's if it is a 10-song record, it probably will end up spending 10 hours m messing with it on some level, whether that's just the just the mastering or if that's tweaking it or or yeah, I'd, I'd say on average probably an hour. And is it more of like a templated approach where like you had mentioned you find the song that sounds best. So after you've matched up like the first song to that, is that kind of setting the tone for the rest of it? It, it, it sort of does because I mean I, I I'm kind of when scanning through all the songs, uh, the, like say again the ten songs, you do get a sense of the whole record at that point, and you're kind of going, yeah, this this one here is going to be the one that just kind of, you know, is going to set the tone for the, for the whole thing, and and often when when clients attend the session, I it's probably one of the first things I ask is just like, okay, what's what's your favorite sounding song? Not your favorite track, but what's your favorite sounding song? And and then. <clears throat> it's usually every it's usually pretty unanimous every you know we they get it they they're thinking the same thing as i'm thinking when i go through and listen to them afterwards as well so it's it's pretty obvious when a track just stands out as being the best sounding one you know mm -hmm. and then you use that and one. and and do you find that that's because just like the the mix dictated that it was the best sounding song or is it just usually the song or like how how do you gauge that uh, I think I think it would be more so the mix. I mean, sometimes it is arrangement and song too, because it just lends. Like when you get a great song and it's super catchy, it just lends itself to everything. You know, the magic, all all, all of it comes together. But um, but I, I'm thinking purely from sonics. You know, like the 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 bottoms sounding like it's going to be its biggest, and everything just feels most correct across the whole mm -hmm. mix, kind of thing. And what's a typical mastering chain consist of for you? Um, I'm, I'm always EQ first. Uh, I, well, I, I shouldn't say always, but I, I'd say the vast majority of the time it's usually EQ first. So I find when you flatten out the, the EQ curve, when you get the EQ to where roughly where it's supposed to be, then everything else like just falls into place. So compression falls into place. All of a sudden the compressor isn't hitting hard because there's too much bottom end or, or there's a weird bump somewhere in the in the mids that's kind of not making the the compressor react um, more than it should, um, and and even at that point you can bring stuff in much hotter when your EQ curve is is flat. As soon as, when your EQ is is all messed up, then you just can't get things loud. It just it it freaks freaks things out. It distorts things. So EQ uh, is is you know. The vast majority of the times is going to be the first thing, and then it's yep. and then it's um, then it might be dynamic EQ, sort of after the general EQ. Maybe a little bit of dynamic EQ comes after after second in line. Any kind of dynamics after that, um, yeah, that's I think that would be generally. So do you normally have like you, you said you'd usually have about two different EQs in the chain? Yeah, um, I try to do as little as possible. It'd be to be honest. If I could just do nothing to a, 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 a <laughs> mix, and it's not because I'm trying to be lazy. It's just no, that's no. what I'm shooting for. I'm, I used to have all sorts of stuff going on. Like I used to have multiple EQs and, you know, dynamic stuff happening all over the place and, you know, five plugins going on and stuff like that. And now, man, it just makes me really happy when it's just like a couple of things happening, you know? It just I, And and I, I think that makes me happy just because generally when somebody comes back to me and, and says like, man, it sounds so great. Like what went on? And, and then it's just like, wow, very little, <laughs> like very, very little went on. And, 
and that's usually the case like the the less i do the the more um pristine it seems to get somehow you know so and it just makes sense less phase distortion less less everything you know it just less is more for sure mm-hmm and I, I often hear a lot of people talk about EQ with mastering, and they'll say that mastering involves fewer broad stroke EQ moves, like boosting cuts. And then there's like the other side of the spectrum, which people say that it involves more surgical cuts. Like, what's your approach to that? All of the above. <laughs> it's just, it's just again, a, a different artist, producer. Sometimes it'll be really surgical. Sometimes it'll be just broad strokes. Sometimes it's both. It's just it's just whatever it needs. Can't really can't just say it's one thing. You need to yeah. sort of be able to 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 do all of those things. Yeah. From a confidence standpoint with mastering, at what point did you feel like you started to really make good masters? Was there like a defining moment in your career where you're like, yeah, nailed it. Like I got this. Gosh. I mean, seriously, I think a couple of years ago. It's kind of crazy. I've been doing it for so long. <laughs> but I, I I swear it just feels like it's it's feeling it's feeling like and I think it's just the reaction of people like you you kind of know when when people are are kind of telling you things you know like wow I we've been working on together for a long time but something's happened recently or you know so um yeah it feels like as of the last few years for for sure it, it's definitely feeling better but thank god I mean because that you know hopefully you're always learning that's, that's the thing you know so um, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say recent. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been doing it for quite a while, so it makes sense that yeah, like kind of what, going back to what we were originally talking about, like listening back to your old catalog. Yeah, you wish you could redo some of that stuff, right? Yeah, I think if you if you do that, you'll always think it just was recent that you got good. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> been doing a lot of remastering too. Not not for that reason, but it's yeah. it's pretty cool to sort of do it after the fact and records that I did do way back when, like in 96 or whatever, recently remastered Hayden's first record that I uh, recorded and co-produced with, with him and, and also um, initially mastered. And um, so it was pretty cool to redo that and go, oh, wow, crazy, crazy what we yeah. were doing, you know. But that whole record was, was so cool and completely um, unusual. Um, but yes, it, I... Remastering stuff is really cool. I, I've been doing a fair bit of it recently. Cool. Are there any weird techniques that you like to apply when you're mastering that other people might think you're a little crazy for doing? I can't name those things, can I? I'm just giving away all, <laughs> this, all the secrets. Um, true. I don't know. Truthfully not. I don't think I'm doing anything that other guys aren't really doing. I, I swear it's all about the EQ curve. It's all about the yeah. EQ curve. As soon as you get the EQ curve correct or, or really close, everything else falls into place. You can make it loud. You can make it not feel like th compressors are pumping. You know, it just, you get that EQ curve right. And so I don't think there's any crazy, you know, little trick that I'm doing. I don't think so. Yeah. So it's just like more of a feel thing. You're just shooting for what feels best to your ears. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to the same reference tracks that I've been listening to ever since I thought, you know, like I got in this room and I, and I got these speakers and I mean, I still, I listen to modern stuff too, because you know, clearly things evolve, but there's still an EQ curve 
that I think I've kind of latched onto that, um, and I finally figured out maybe how to, you know, it just resets things. It resets my ears. That's sort of what it is. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just like it's just a way, it's a flatness curve. I think I shoot for, and um, yeah. So I, I'm. I think that's it's EQ. It really, it generally is just EQ. Yeah. And what are the biggest problems that you see with the projects you master? Uh, do they have more to do with how people are preparing their tracks or like, just like, is it stuff in the mix? Like what, what issues do you see? Um, yeah, I, I think I love it. I mean, truthfully, I, I love what, what guys are sending. Like it, it's, um, it, it seems like there's a whole new fresh take on, on, on things, you know, but as far as uh, what might be considered a mistake, I mean, I think a lot of times um, a little too much compression, maybe, you know, it's, it's probably going to be all the, that, that standard stuff that you hear mastering engineers say, but I think it really, really is like people tend to sort of make everything sit too tightly together. And um, it just, it just, doesn't make for for transient for for the for an open sounding mix um good well yeah i was just stuff i was just working on last couple of days um was it was great because it came super wide open like they you know um uh, jeff uh, martin from the tea party it's a record that he produced and he sent over a, a, a mixed or sorry a limited version and an unlimited version of the track. And so he just sort of got it to a point where where he wanted it to be just to show me it. But it, it when the limiter was off, it just was wide open and the snare and kick were just really coming through. And then, so I was just able to sort of then see where he, what his limited version was and I was able to get it there, but still managing to keep it a little more open sounding, you know? So it was, it's really cool to just keep stuff just not not hyper compressed or, or, or limited sounding. And do you find more problems that occurred in the recording stage versus mixing stage or the other way around? I, I would say it's a, it would be a little more on the, on the mix stage, but, but yeah, some, I think the, the majority would probably be in the mix stage. Yeah. I, I, but sometimes it is going to be the tracking, but usually a lot of those things could be, could be fixed in the mix. So yeah, it's probably mm -hmm. you, most problems would be would be mix based. Yeah, and what sort of things do you recommend people do in order to best prepare their tracks for mastering? Do you have any specific submission requirements? I, I I'm always just telling them to you know if it's feeling right to you, just get it to sound correct to you. If you're gonna if you're gonna have if you're gonna be working on a mix and you've got a limiter or some sort of multi band happening on on your master bus. And then you're thinking, oh no, I'm just I'm going to take all that off so that the so that the mastering engineer can deal with that, and your the whole mix just comes unglued. Then that's really bad to do too, because then where should I go with that? You know what I mean? So, um, so I I think just as long as you're not really overcooking it, you know, like if you're if you're just not over compressing, you're not over limiting on your master, even volume is fine. Like I can deal with. I, if I need to turn something down, I can to sort of then bring it back up. So it's it's the volume thing isn't isn't a problem. I think it's just just the compression and limiting. Obviously, EQ, you want to get your EQ as as correct as possible too. But 
I think the bigger thing is just stuff coming in, little overcooked kind of thing. Mm-hmm. One topic that's been probably beaten to death, and you're probably sick of talking about it as a mastering engineer, is the loudness wars. Like, do you feel that the loudness wars are still an issue? Uh, and, and what's your take on what trumps more, like loudness or clarity? What's what's your view on that? Oh gosh, for, for certain, clarity is is far um, better for Sonics. I mean, I, I would love to hear everything. You know, ideally, I'd love to hear everything down two dB from where we're roughly at right now, or the kind of the general level of mastering is, um, because that that last two two dB is sort of where I think you know that those nice transients and things are sort of really getting lost, but. Um, but you know what? I that being said, I think we're doing pretty pretty okay on on the loudness front. Like I feel like we can get records pretty pretty loud. Um, the uh, I I don't really truthfully um, I'm not too worried about the, about the loudness thing. I, I'm kind of hoping it all comes down. I mean, especially with with the new streaming sites like Spotify. It, I think it might just take a little bit of time where they're beginning to educate, I, I guess, the the music making public or world on um, how, you know, what they're basically doing. And they're, they're turning down the really loud sounding tracks that are coming to them and they're boosting up the low level tracks that are coming to them. So in the end, it really doesn't make a volume difference. Like you're not going to be louder on Spotify than this other record that was mastered much more dynamically. Um, mm-hmm. There's, um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I think, and, and I hope that there's, there's a like kind of a slightly better time for, for loudness coming in the near future, yeah. you know? And with all of the major streaming services constantly changing their compression algorithms, how has that affected your process? Do you find yourself having to make multiple revisions of masters in order to optimize the sound for each or, are you just shooting for a standard level that you you've found seems to work best for all of them? I'm still going uh, for the, a pretty standard level, so I, I'm trying to shoot for for that competitive um, volume that people are are looking for. Um, but that being said, I mean, there's certain um, like um, iTunes is when you have a master for iTunes um, master that we create. Those we do sort of knock down in volume ever so slightly. Um, there's a slightly different process, and we're also submitting high high resolution um, versions of, of the songs that way too. So, um, but ultimately, and and also for for vinyl masters, we do a slightly different process where we do I do remove a little bit of the final stage of limiting to to just open things up a little bit because on vinyl you it's it's not about loudness at all so there's no issue there you can give them a really reasonably um loud recording or or something that that isn't as cranked as a cd master and um let it just but let it be a little more open in the transients not not do any um type of brick wall limiting and um so we prep our, our vinyl masters that way so i do back up one of the steps and create a, a separate um, master for vinyl, and the master master for the iTunes is slightly different. We're just beginning to toy with possibly doing it also for Spotify and some of the other streaming um, services that that are um, just automatically um, 
doing their own uh, level matching. So, um, yeah, things are changing a little bit for sure. Mm-hmm. The way we're, we're presenting masters. Yeah. And do you find it hard to keep up with all of the changes that are happening? Cause it seems like they're just throwing yeah. these changes at their service without even notifying people. Yeah. And I think that's why we've been a little cautious up and up until now. It's like, okay, we're, I'm still prepping my master because no matter what, I'm trying to create the, the best sounding ma- master that I can create. And then from that point on, we, we either back up a step for the vinyl master or, uh, and now we're, we're beginning to think about the, um, about um, supplying lower volumes for the streaming services. So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely changing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are relatively new in their careers. What kind of advice would you have for someone who's just getting started with mastering and wants to pursue that as a career? Mm. Um, well, I mean, go for it. It's, it's awesome. It's the coolest job on the planet for sure. But I, I can't say enough about how important it is to sort of be a, a musician or have some musical kind of know-how and, and engineer and, and, and get into production. I mean, it's, all, all of the, those other things help so much in, in becoming a mastering engineer. I'd say that that's, that would be the most beneficial thing is to, is to do it all. Don't just, I, I wouldn't just go straight into mastering. I th- think you're going to bypass a lot of stuff that would be really important to helping you become a mastering engineer. Mm-hmm. And do you think it's important for people to go to school for this kind of stuff or it's just better to take the intern route and work in a studio and shadow people? That's a tough one. Yeah, because it's expensive to go to these schools. You certainly do learn a lot of cool stuff. I mean, there's great schools. Um, you do learn, you know, the, some of the, the, the tech behind what's going on. Um, whereas if you just get thrown into, if you go intern, you might just, you know, be kind of thrown into the situations and you're not really kind of understanding what's happening technically or the, the electrical side of things. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think if I had to do it, I, I'd, I'd go into just trying to get into a, a studio, uh, first, uh, and, and see where that would take me. And then if, if, if I still, if it's not going the place where I'd like it to go, then maybe I might go to school after, after the fact. Yeah. And what about for those new people trying to get new clients? Like if you had to start all over today and open up your mastering shop today, what would be your approach to getting some new clients? Well, I mean, it's just, again, all, all, all the things that were at our, that are at our disposal, like just the, the, the worldwide web, um, you know, you just, you, you've got to get yourself out there on, on, you can use that to your advantage on social media on, um, but how do you rise above the rest? You know, like what, what makes you different from it? Cause everybody else is doing the same thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, old school and it would always work for me would be to just go to a club and watch a bunch of bands and talk to the bands and you're bound to listen to somebody that night that's like, well, this band's pretty cool. And you just go talk to them. Say, man, I just want to want to work with you. I'll do this for next to nothing or, or, or even I'll just do a song for free or whatever. And just, and then I think, you know, that, that can go a long way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Cool. Well, I know you got some clients coming in, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. So we should probably start to wrap up. But uh, how can people follow you online? What's the best way to learn more about you and your studio? Well, uh, we we have a, a website, I guess. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm so not the the online guy. You know, like I I'm I, I'm always just working. So um um so I don't don't really. That's definitely a trend I find with everybody who I interview who's super busy is they're like, yeah, I don't have time for social media. Yeah, yeah. It's just I, I truthfully just don't really do it. You know, I uh, occasionally if somebody asks me to be a friend or something, OK, I'll, I'll, I'll friend you. But I, I'm um, yeah, I'm the world's worst social media guy, I think. <laughs> um, but you can certainly I mean, uh, you know, I have, have an email address and and um, people can certainly reach out i'm always happy to kind of listen to something that somebody's working on and and just give them an opinion and uh so i you know it, it that that would be a, a good way to do it you know if somebody cool. wants, if somebody's just curious I'm, I'm happy to talk awesome and uh any cool projects that you're currently working on that you can talk about yeah i mean honestly they're always super super cool i mean i i like the i like the um I'm always loving the the newer, younger, independent um, bands that 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 I'm working with. I mean, that's usually the exciting stuff. Um, but um, yeah, I just finished uh, working on the new Sheepdogs record, which is super super cool. Um, been doing a lot of remastering lately, which is um, loving loving doing. Just did the the whole Max Webster box set. Uh, very cool. New Sloan record is crazy cool. So good. I love that band so much. Um, yeah, um, gonna be remastering the, the the new Sloan box set for for um, uh, the Navy Blues. So, so yeah, just I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. I get to do work with these <laughs> bands that I'm I'm a fan of. So it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on here and uh, letting us take up some of your time. Really appreciate it. I think you shared a lot of really cool tips. So thanks again. Thanks, Mike. So that's my interview with Joe Carvalho. I love talking with that guy. He's always such an awesome dude to talk to and really nice guy all around. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he's currently up for a nomination for the Grammy Awards, which are happening this weekend. It's for his work on the Rose Cousins album. It sounds amazing. So guys, definitely check out that record. It sounds super big, super polished. And that's just what Joa does. That's what he does when he masters. He makes everything sound amazing. So once again, Joa, thank you so much for being on the show and best of luck with that. I also want to give a quick shout out to Brian Lowe. Brian is Joa's studio manager. He's actually my guitar player in my band, and he's an awesome dude as well, and a great mastering engineer in his own right. And Brian helped us get all set up today. So quick shout out to Brian. Brian, you rule. Thank you so much. So that's pretty much it for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to the Master Your Mix podcast, please make sure to check out the website. It's masteryourmix.com. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, leave a rating and review. That helps us get exposed to a lot more people online. And if you're looking to take your mixes to the next level, make sure to download your free copy of The Ultimate Mixing Blueprint, which I'm currently offering on MasterYourMix.com. All you gotta do is visit the website. At the top of the page, there's a link to download your free copy. And it's a guide that shows you how to use EQ and compression in your mixes so that you can get clarity in your mixes much, much faster. 
And once you sign up to download that, you'll be added to my mailing list. And every week on there, I send out new videos, tutorials, tips and tricks, blog articles, and a whole bunch of other great resources designed to help you make better mixes. So make sure to check that out. And I'll talk to you in the next episode, guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at masteryourmix.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit masteryourmix.com.